Hello, I'm Chris Kreitcho, and this is the New Rust Station Podcast, a 15 to 20 minute show about learning the Rust programming language. This is episode 17, Point Me Where I Need to Go. First up, some news and follow-up. In my interview with him a few weeks ago, Rafe Levine mentioned the font renderer he had written in Rust, and this past week he posted an interesting bit on Medium looking at the font renderer in some detail. It's crazy fast, and the post itself is pretty interesting. Next, Aaron Turon, one of the Rust core team members, wrote up a very interesting proposal for a Rust platform to help make it easier for new Rust stations to get up and going, trying basically to get some of the benefits of the quote-unquote batteries-included standard library of something like Python, while still keeping the lean, light, actual standard library we have in Rust today. There's been a lot of interesting discussion and follow-up about that idea, which I will link in the show notes. The nightly builds of cargo now have the ability to quote-unquote vendor dependencies. That is, they can specify a source for their dependencies besides the normal source repository, which is very helpful, for example, for builds in environments where going out and hitting GitHub isn't possible or where you need all your dependencies to be verified ahead of time or things like that. It's a great step for cargo. Also, nightly builds of Rust now have Mirror turned on by default. Previously, it was available, but it was behind a feature flag. So we're quickly headed toward a lot of good compiler improvements because it looks like that should land in stable sometime in the next few major releases. For more details on what Mirror is, you can go back and listen to my discussion of it in News Episode 1. Now, into the show. One listener, at GazHaze on Twitter, asked if I had covered the dereference operator or the general behavior of dereferencing on the show so far, and I realized I hadn't. In all the code samples I've given, I've basically assumed the syntax for those, and therefore I've also basically assumed the semantics for those. But I think it's worth slowing down and looking at what we mean when we use a given piece of syntax and how it fits into the language model for safety especially when that syntax is so important to Rust's model for memory safety. It also plays into our performance considerations, and given that my original plan was to spend this episode talking about some traits and types which make heavy use of the semantics around referencing and dereferencing things, well, to do that, we should take a step back and define what we actually mean by references and values and pointers and dereferencing in the first place. And these are not concerns unique to Rust. Most modern languages, from C to F-sharp, have some idea of dealing with data either by value or by reference, and sometimes it really matters. I once ran into a problem in a piece of Python I'd written where something was going wrong precisely because a given bit of data was being passed around by reference, not by value. And until I realized that, I couldn't solve the problem, even though Python does all of that behind the scenes. So I hope this discussion helps you specifically with Rust, but understanding these ideas should help you whatever language you're writing in. So when we talk about references and pointers, what exactly are we talking about? If you're coming to Rust from a language like Python, or Ruby, or JavaScript, and you don't already have a background with lower-level languages, C or C++, you've probably heard the words batted around, and you may have even gotten to the point where you know how to use the relevant operators in Rust, which we'll discuss further in a minute. But you might still be wondering, really, what are references and pointers? And of course, if you just need a refresher, hopefully this will be helpful there as well. 
So when you're dealing with any given piece of data in a program that you're writing, it has a particular location in memory, and that location is just an address, usually written in hexadecimal, but ultimately it's just a number, and that number maps down to a specific location in RAM where the computer is storing the data. That's true whether you're talking about something as simple as an integer or something as complex as a vector of structs with ref cells pointing to strings. Everything has an address. Now, one thing to keep in mind, the program doesn't actually have a direct address to the RAM, but rather an address relative to its own block of memory as allocated by the operating system. The operating system then maps that address back to the RAM itself. That's an important distinction for security purposes. And I'm not going to talk about that anymore today, but it is important to understand. Now, when you call a function with some data, there are two basic ways you could give it that data. And the first and most obvious one is... Well, every function gets its own memory on the stack. We talked about that a few episodes back. So we could just allocate the required amount of memory in the stack and copy the data into that new space for each function. Then we could just pass the data directly to the function and be done. This is simple and straightforward, and it's also always perfectly safe because the original memory location is untouched. So the new function can't accidentally smash it. And we'll come back to that concept a lot more in our next episode. But there are downsides to doing everything by copying. Copying all the data for every argument every time we call a function will get expensive. It will take processor time and it will take a lot of memory. What's more, if we wanted to change the value in the original, we'd need to copy it back by returning it when we were done and then overwriting the original memory with the new value. That is a lot of work, so we can run into performance problems pretty quickly if we try to do it that way. On the other hand, if we remember that every item has an address in memory, we can do something which is both faster and which uses a lot less memory. We can just hand around that address instead. When we do that, we're handing around a reference to the data. If we know the address and the kind of thing we're talking about, a struct or an enum or whatever else, then we know how big it is and we know how it's shaped and we don't actually have to copy the data to be able to use it. We do run into some concerns about safety doing it that way, though. If we have two functions running in parallel, and they both have the address of a given data structure, what happens if they try to write to it at the same time? Or even what if one of them tries to read from it while the other one is writing to it? Or what if you just make a mistake and write the wrong size object to a given address, one that's too big for the space and so goes past the end of it and crashes into some other object's memory? Because remember, at the end of the day, our data is all just values— stored at specific addresses in memory. So you can easily end up with bad data and not have any way of knowing. And we'll come back to those safety issues in just a moment. First, though, now that we know what references are, we can expand that and define what pointers are. A pointer is the content of a variable whose type is a reference. Instead of the content of the type, being an integer or a string or whatever else, the content is the address of an integer or string or whatever else. So when you pass an argument by reference to a function in Rust or any other language, under the covers, the type of the argument, and in Rust, it's made explicit, the type is a reference and its content is a pointer, a number pointing to a specific address in memory. However, the vast majority of the time, and all of the time in safe Rust, you don't actually have to think about the value of that address, just the kind of thing it's pointing to and the fact that you have a reference instead of a value. When you perform operations with a reference, the value of the memory address, that is the pointer 
value is irrelevant to you, and in general, in safe code, it's inaccessible to you. This is very different from a language like C or C++, and it's where Rust's idea of borrowing and ownership comes in. Rust keeps us from making the kinds of mistakes we talked about a minute ago in a couple ways. The first, and the most interesting, is by making sure there is only one mutable reference to data at a time, a concept we've talked about a lot. What that really means, in light of everything we've just said, though, is that Rust makes a strict compile-time guarantee that only one scope is allowed to have write access to a given memory address at any given time. But an unlimited number of scopes can have simultaneous read access to that address as long as nothing has write access to it. We know that the data at that address won't change. So when we talk about lending a reference or borrowing a reference in Rust, we're really talking about handing around pointers to data, just with strict rules about whether the scope that gets a reference that gets that pointer is allowed to write to the address being pointed to or not. As for smashing the memory by writing the wrong kind of data to a given address, this is where Rust's type system and its rules about unsafe code come in. Sure, C and C++ won't let you write the wrong kind of object to a given location, uh, unless you just coerce it to the quote-unquote correct type, or cast it to arbitrary memory with void star, both of which are bad practice, but both of which are also totally allowed by the C and C++ compilers. Both of those, though, are actually impossible in safe Rust, which requires you to define safe, explicit transformations from one type to another. And, just as importantly, Rust doesn't actually expose the pointer value, the value of the address, in the reference. Instead, it just lets you read and write to the data behind the reference by dereferencing it, but without ever needing to know the memory address yourself. You can get the memory address and manipulate it directly in unsafe Rust, and there are times you need to do that. But it's not most of the time, even for high-performance code, unlike in C or C++, where that is often the only way to do something at the most performant level. Because the primitives Rust supplies for things like iteration, for example, are both safe and very performant. One other thing to understand... I've been using a simplified version of how pass-by-value works to keep it easier to understand. In reality, though, modern compilers, for a variety of languages, including Rust, are generally smart enough not to actively copy the memory every time you pass-by-value if it isn't actually necessary. So when you move an object's ownership, we actually don't have to copy the memory every time. If the LLVM internals of the Rust compiler can see instead that the data ownership has changed in ways that it understands and which follows certain predictable rules, it can often build out the final program so that those bits of data aren't copied. There's a lot more we could say there, but for now I just wanted to make clear that moving data from one owner to another in Rust isn't always as costly as it might seem if you think it's always doing full copies. As usual, when you're optimizing, you should check for what uses large amounts of memory or takes a lot of time rather than just assuming. However, we do have copies there a lot of times, so it's worth remembering that passing by reference is usually cheaper, and it's usually clearer, and most of the time with Rust semantics, it's the better choice. Now that we have a decent idea of what's going on with references and pointers, let's look a little bit at the syntax for using them in Rust. There are three basic operations we are interested in. 
declaring that a type is a reference, making a reference from a given piece of data, and getting at the data behind a reference. The first two of these operations will use the reference operator, and the last one uses the dereference operator. We'll tackle them in that order. First, we denote a reference with the ampersand character. When we declare a reference, we just use the ampersand in front of the name of the type it's referencing. So if we had a type called data store and we saw ampersand data store, we could read that type signature as a reference to a data store. Likewise, we would read ampersand mute data store as a mutable reference to a data store. Second, we get a reference from a value by using the ampersand operator on the name of the given piece of data, and you will most often see this in the context of arguments to functions. So if we had written let some store equal data store new, we might think about a function read data store, which takes a reference to a data store, defined just like we said above. Then to pass a reference to it, we would write read from data store, parentheses, ampersand some store, close parentheses. We could read that as call read from data store with a reference to some store. Similarly, if we were passing a mutable reference, for example, if we had an update data store function, we would call it like update data store, open parentheses, ampersand mute some store, close parentheses. You would read that like call update data store with a mutable reference to some store. And of course, remember that you can only pass mutable references to mutable data, otherwise the compiler will rightly yell at you. Now, once we have a reference to some data, because the content of that reference is the pointer rather than the data itself, we need a way to get back to the data. That way is the dereference operator, which is called dereference because it takes a reference type and... Well, dereferencifies it, if you'll allow me to make up a silly word. We denote the dereference operation with the star character. Writing star in front of some piece of data gives you access to the original data. We then have something with the type of the original kind of thing being referenced. So going back to our example with this data store type, imagine that it is a struct with a field called contents. Inside read data store, then, we might do something like check a value called some data by writing if some value equals star some store dot contents. If we tried to do this comparison without the star operator, it would fail to compile and we would see a type error because we would be trying to act on the reference to this data store, and the reference, whose content is just a pointer, doesn't actually have a contents field. But when we dereference it, we get back the actual data store type, which does have a contents field, and then we can make the comparison. For a somewhat more complicated example of using both of these operators with an enum and with pattern matching, take a look at the show notes where I've written up just that sort of thing. And that's it. Once we understand the concepts behind them, the reference and dereference operators themselves are pretty simple. And that gives us the background we'll need to tackle the borrow and asref traits next time, which will let us generalize these ideas to smart pointer types. And that in turn will let us look at the cow smart pointer type, which will take us back around to the idea of copying. Thanks, as always, to the sponsors who helped make the show possible. This month, the sponsors included Chris Palmer, Daniel Collin, Eric Fulmer, Jared Smith, Rafe Levine, Stephen Morosky, and Vesa Kailavirta. You can see a full list of sponsors in the show notes and the top tier of sponsors on a dedicated page on the website. 
If you're interested in sponsoring the show, you can set up recurring contributions at patreon.com slash newrustation or one-off contributions at a variety of other services listed at the website. There at newrustation.com, you will also find links to the news items from the top of the show and code samples illustrating referencing and dereferencing data. You can also follow the show on Twitter at newrustation or follow me there at Chris Kreitcho. If you enjoyed the show, please help others find it by rating and reviewing it on iTunes, recommending it in another podcast directory, sharing it online, or just telling a friend. Also, please do respond on social media, in the threads for the episode on the Rust user forum, Hacker News, or Reddit, or via email at hello at newrustation.com. Until next time, happy coding. Thank you.